Back in 2021, a group of idiots started a podcast reviewing Nia DaCosta's Candyman. Wait, when the hell did we do that? Now in 2022, one whole year later, they're reviewing the 1992 Bernard Rose original, Candyman. And we still don't know what the hell we're talking about. I don't know what you're doing either. When did we record this? When did this happen? Because I don't know what you're talking about. to Radio Fear. I'm Brandon, here's Justin, and there's f***ing Tony. What's going on, everybody? How did I get here? <laughs> and it's actually a very good question. I just unplugged myself, hold on. <laughs> you can talk shit about me right now and I won't be able to hear it. Hold on. So, you ever notice how Brandon has a full head of hair and he complains about going bald? Yeah, I have. <laughs> I am going bald. Yeah. Yeah, you are. I'm in the beginning <laughs> stages of that, and, like, this hairline's receding. I can't do shit with these bangs anymore, because, like, a quarter of them's missing. A quarter. A quarter of them a is quarter. missing. A quarter of your w- bangs are missing. What fuck accent are you doing right now? <laughs> a quarter of your bangs. <laughs> it's like Mr. Like Christopher Walken. Sean Connery. Bit. Sean Connery. It turned into Sean Connery. After being fucking what's his name that played Alfred in the fucking Dark Knight. Okay. I mean, they're the Michael Caine. Yeah. Oh yeah, of course. Anyway, uh, that's right. We got everybody in the house. It's our birthday. Happy birthday to us. Happy birthday, everybody. <laughs> Tony, I'm gonna need you to cheer up today. Sorry, folks. It's my party. I'll cry if I want to. I didn't feed him today. <laughs> anyway, that's right. It's the one year anniversary of Radio Fear. Uh, or if you know us from back then, our dead name, Radio Fear Macabre. We've been doing this for a year now. How does it feel, everybody? I'll teach you to fear my cob. <laughs> You'll learn today. <laughs> I'm gonna learn you. How do you How do you feel, Justin? I feel great. <coughs> Obviously. Yeah. <laughs> it's great. Been a fun ride. Yeah. It's still a great ride. Yep. Don't start doing that shit again. <laughs> Were you starting to sound like you're about to quit? <laughs> Man, how, God, that was a long time ago. Just Justin was just going on about. I was fucking with him. It was our wrap up, wasn't it? Our season one wrap up. Yeah, and I was. You, to... you were like, "Yeah, it's been a great ride, and I've had fun on this on this trip, man." I'm, it was I'm a wonderful to, journey. It was a wonderful journey. I'm gonna miss it. And I'm like, Justin, you're. Are you leaving? <laughs> I was just. I, I did that on purpose. I was just trying to make a build up to where I was gonna make the. Uh, retirement announcement, but it was never going to come. <laughs> After much success, I'm going to keep doing it. <laughs> After much success, I'm taking a break for my mental health. <laughs> I fell down and I broke my voice. Uh, help! <laughs> this month last year, we reviewed the, at the time, just released film, Nia DaCosta's 2021 hit, Candyman, the legacy sequel to the 1992 original, and we thought, what better way to celebrate our anniversary than to go back in theme 
to our first episode and review the original 1992 Bernard Rose Candyman. Going back to when we did this first episode, a lot of things have changed. I mean, I was just me and you in the living room of my apartment with just your laptop and a bad mic. Yeah, it, well, it wasn't a bad mic. Compared to this. It was an $80 mic. <laughs> well, this is like a hundreds of dollars mic. That Tony bought. <laughs> Hey, no comment. <laughs> it's a great piece of equipment. I'm glad you guys are enjoying it. We are. We are. Very much. It's sexy. It uh, makes me happy. It's seen some things. I'm afraid to ask what it has seen. I'm afraid to tell. Anyway. <laughs> but it won't be. It's probably seen Brandon naked. Everything oh, in this no. room has seen Brandon naked. It's my room. <laughs> I'm sorry, Brandon's room. I've, uh, dude, you don't have to apologize. I, I apologize every time I undress, just naturally. That's <laughs> walk out of the bed. That's upbringing. You apologize yeah. to sorry. yourself in the mirror. Sorry. That that's <laughs> that's just like old habit. Anytime I get naked, I have to say I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, world. <laughs> Your physician's like, all right, drop him. I'm sorry. My, sorry. my apologies, sir, but no, I don't have time to explain all this. <laughs> What's over. that? Nope. <laughs> we're not going down this road. <laughs> anyway, so today we're talking about 1992 Candyman. I am the writing on the wall. The whisper in the classroom. Without these things, I am nothing. So now, I must shed innocent blood. This is a, a big movie for both me and Justin. Tony got his first viewing of Candyman just a few days ago. I did. I, I viewed it with my eyeballs. It was a movie we're about to talk about. Did you enjoy it? It was great. It was? I did like it. Great. I, I had a feeling you would. I, I, it's got a good it's got a good vibe to it. Your reaction disheartened me for a moment. Good commentary. Great. <laughs> Good. <laughs> I'm glad to hear it. I'm glad we don't have another Texas Chainsaw Massacre situation where our hands Tony. Well, you see, there was this, 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 and this wrong with it. I loved it. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, we'll get into all of that here shortly. But uh, first, let's just—I uh, don't know. It's our anniversary. Let's. Uh, J- Justin already kind of started. Um, how do you guys feel about the podcast so far? It's a podcast. <laughs> It is. And we're in it. it Lots of hours. Lots of hard work. But we've grown from nothing to... I see you pointing to yourself, Brandon. Lots of hard editing work from Brandon. Lots of sleepless nights. Lots of sleepless nights, Brandon. (laughs) It was a fun journey. I mean, it's still... I can't hear I go again. It was a fun journey. It was a fun journey. (laughs) I'm tearing up thinking about how I'm going to be back. (laughs) Oh, okay. <laughs> again and again and again. Covered a hell of a lot of good movies. I hope this podcast keeps growing into something bigger. I mean, we started from nothing and we've got us a decent little following going right now. Yep. So, I'm happy we got some vocal fans now. 
I know. We got people talking to us. You know, most most children don't learn to speak within the first year of being conceived, but we got them. <laughs> Indeed, we did. I don't like the implications of that. <laughs> Going off of your joke, I know about a vocal fan base. Yeah, we got finally some, talking. Yeah, we got some fans talking to us. It feels good. Tony, uh, you haven't been able to be on as many episodes. Don't worry, we we explained it to everybody for you though. You told them about my cancer. Jesus Christ. <laughs> uh, We're gonna go that way. Yeah, I guess so. We told them about your your, your horrible Christmas lung testicular cancer. We're, we told them about your horrible Christmas themed butt cancer. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Called known a, as work. Yeah, I was gonna say called a job. <laughs> but for the for the few episodes you were able to to do, how how, how have you felt so far? I feel like something inside of me is changing, like a tumor. <laughs> Seriously though, I can't get off it, man. Well, no, it's in your ass. <laughs> it supports me and my weight, and it has gotten so big to this point that I can't escape it. It's got. He'll he'll get there eventually. <laughs> remember what we were talking about. What was your favorite episode that you did with us? Oh, it's got to be Creep Show. Creep right? Show. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Hands down, no questions asked. Talking about mums. Dude, mums? Mums is good. But uh, I forget the title of the episode that we watched. The one with the uh, doppelganger. Oh. That section of our Creep Show talk through. The one with King Bach. Yeah, King Bach. Yeah. Familiar. Familiar, that's what it was, yeah. Good memory. Ju no, Justin's just listened to that episode a million times because he misses it when it's all three of us. That is true. And now that we're back, we can continue talking about my butt cancer. <laughs> and your work as the ghost of Christmas future. How's that going, Tony? It's not. I got fired. The Donnie Darko episode, they heard that. And they were just like, no, we can't keep this guy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, no, no. That was going to be a great finale. <laughs> and he ruined it. It wound up being a finale for my job. <laughs> I mean, hey, someone had to go out with a bang. I bit the bullet. Instead of chainsaws, because you stopped us from using the chainsaws. Yeah. We should have kept the chainsaws. Yep. When we went camping. And yeah, in hindsight, I shouldn't have stopped you. You guys probably would have gotten really good work experience with those chainsaws. Yeah. To defend yourselves. And I... Uh, we might not have got I, kidnapped by a satanic cult. I only cried for 20 minutes when you guys died to the bears. That was very well done. I was I was so happy. I'm, pr to, I'm, I'm proud of myself for the I'm, sound effects I did. I was so happy to get eaten by a bear that day. So what what about you guys? How do, how do you guys feel knowing that you've died twice in the year that we've been podcasting? God, have we died twice? Yes, we have. Well, you got killed by Michael Myers in the Halloween Kills. Yes, I was gonna say, but Justin hasn't died twice, has have you? Yeah, I got, I got, uh, well, no, I only got killed once. Trust me, there's plenty of time for everybody to die. I mean, we got sucked up by the Sharknado, but we lived. Yeah, well, I didn't keep that I mean, in. You didn't keep that in? No. Oh shit! Did you not listen to, this, to the? Not the whole thing. Yeah. I have a job. Oh, <laughs> well, so do I. And I made the episode. <laughs> All right, this is getting out of hand. We gotta, we gotta get to this episode, guys. Can, can yep. we, can we wrangle our cats for just five, five seconds, and get to? <laughs> yes, I said that. And get to 
our favorite part of the show, the horror headlines. Now here's your horror headlines from Radio Fear. The big one, the big super one I'm excited about. Evil Dead is coming to theaters April of next year. Evil Dead Rise has been doing super well with its test screenings. Uh, everybody's coming back with very positive feedback. They say it's a great fucking film. Now, this was set to come directly out to HBO Max sometime this year, but now it's been pushed back to April of next year, but with a theatrical release. And so I'm very happy to see that. We kind of felt like that was going to happen as soon as we started hearing that its test screenings were doing very, very well. So fuck yeah, Evil Dead Rise in theaters. We're going to be there day one to check this out. The Evil Dead's one of my favorite series of all time in, in horror and in, in media in general, no matter the genre. I just fucking love Evil Dead. Next up, we got a teaser trailer and a release date for Hellraiser coming to Hulu. It's going to be coming out October 7th. Uh, we still don't know like all too much about this Hellraiser on Hulu other than it's going to be rated R. Like I said last time, of course it is. It's Hellraiser. Why? <laughs> I think, what was it? It was either Fangoria. It might've been bloody disgusting made like, <laughs> I like the, the title they had. Uh, for it's like the uh, Hellraiser series <laughs> drops its family-friendly roots and goes for an R rating. In real-life news, which we don't do a lot here, but when it's relevant, and it's not always like something just absolutely horrific, but sometimes real-life news comes in and it's relevant. UFO activity is apparently exponentially increasing. The government, who, if you're not in the know, just a year or two ago announced that UFOs are real. They confirmed that <laughs> the, the, our government confirmed that um, a few of these UFO videos that leaked online were real. They don't know where they came from. And now they're saying that not only are they real, but the activity on these things are increasing. And now they're saying, we don't believe that they're man-made. They were kind of like not commenting on the whole, is it a, just because it's a UFO, does that mean it's aliens? They were saying, oh, you know, this could be another country's secret technology and we haven't, you know, caught up to that yet. But the video that they were commenting on, the thing just broke the laws of physics. So I don't think any person on earth in current age could come up with something like that. We don't really talk about stuff like this on this show. That's mostly for like shows like Chiluminati and stuff like that. But, um, personal belief. Obviously, I, I believe that there are aliens, and um, I think it'd be ridiculous to not believe that there are aliens, considering the vastness of the universe. It'd be, it's more likely that there are aliens than that there's not. But whether or not they have visited us and Earth, that's a whole different story that's kind of up in the air. But it's looking like, with all this evidence coming out and the government being more transparent about it, it's looking like not only is something out there, but it has gone from being out there to here at some point, whether that's just passing through or checking us out, you know, that's yet to be known and maybe in our lifetime won't be ever known, but I'm, I'm fine with it. You know, 
This is this isn't an alien hunting podcast. I just think that this is really fucking neat. Outside of horror movies, cryptozoology and stuff like that is kind of a, a passive interest of mine, but a an interest nonetheless. I'm not out there looking for Bigfoot or anything. Hearing news and government talking to us about UFOs is always pretty cool and it blows my mind how when they had first announced it because covid was going on and all that nobody fucking cared <laughs> like yeah okay aliens sure where's my toilet paper in other news in this december a nightmare on elm street freddy's nightmares the series the tv show is coming to blu-ray now this is something we, we, every time we say there's blu-ray coming out or something like that we're like oh i might pick this up no i'm definitely picking this up i'm definitely picking this up because freddy's nightmares was just kind of unavailable by most means for the longest fucking time and then it came out to that uh screen box and then tubi or peacock it was either tubi or peacock that it came to but before that it went like most of it most of this time since its creation since it quit airing on tv back in the 80s it was just gone and so this is something I'm gonna to add to my collection of Nightmare on Elm Street. I have every film. I'm definitely getting this because you never know, right? If this is ever gonna be streaming anywhere ever again, or if it's gonna be available outside of this specific Blu-ray ever again. If you're a fan of Nightmare on Elm Street, this is definitely something you need to pick up come this December. I'm gonna be picking it up. I hope anybody out there listening that likes Nightmare on Elm Street, as much as I do, will be picking it up as well. Do not miss that opportunity. And another bit of news, we got A24 has a brand new horror movie on its way. It's called The Front Room. Apparently, Brandy Norwood, that Brandy Norwood, is going to be in it. So she's returning to horror. So that's a pretty big deal. Everybody loved Brandy Norwood. Uh, she was one of the good things from I Still Know What You Did last summer. She's a great actress. Everybody loved her and her performance in that. And it, it was really good to see her in horror. She's going to be back in the debut movie from the Eggers Brothers. So definitely be looking out for that one. And last up, we got a couple bits of video game news. Supermassive Games released a new trailer for Gamescom for their next project. It's part of the Dark Pictures anthology that they've been working on with like House of Ashes and all that. Uh, the Devil in Me is set to come out later this year, and it is another story-driven, choose-your-own-adventure type game, and it looks like it's set in a creepy hotel. It's very H.H. Holmes-esque with a bit of Saw and all that put in there as well. It looks pretty cool. Now, speaking of Gamescom, we got a few trailers coming out from that event, and on the opening night for Gamescom, we got three horror games. A new Outlast game coming out, and this one looks like it's co-op Outlast. If you played Outlast 1 or 2, you kind of know what to expect, but for this one, you can play with your friends. That looks pretty interesting. Second up, Dead Island 2. Now, for people who love zombie games, this is a pretty big deal. Dead Island 1 um, made a lot of waves when it came out, especially its trailer. Its trailer won awards, I believe. It was like one of the best trailers advertising anything ever. It was just done really fucking well. And the game, you know, I personally tried to play it and I wasn't a big fan of it, but this new one does look interesting. They have a whole new graphical system just for gore and making gore look really good and realistic. So that's interesting. That's not usually what people play their games for, but uh, I do find that interesting that they're doing that to keep a really good integrity of their horror in this game. Now, Dead Island, uh, it's kind of a horror comedy, kind of like Evil Dead, but tropical and with zombie zombies and all that. And 
it's I don't know the Dying Light games that came out since then are pretty similar to Dead Island from what I understand I didn't really get big into the di Dying Light but I am going to be checking out Dead Island 2 it looks like it's going to be a good time but the most what the fuck biggest news that we got out of Gamescom for horror games uh, is a big one it's uh, we're getting fucking killer clowns from outer space the game and I'm, I've been so excited. If you're following me on Twitter, you've seen how excited I am. I already told the official Twitter account that I love them. <laughs> uh, I love the Killer Clowns from Outer Space movie. Uh, I think anyone listening to this that's seen it, they, they love that too. It's kind of hard not to love that movie. It's just cheesy goodness. We're going to do knock my block off. But it's, it's going to be another asymmetrical multiplayer horror game. Classic horror franchises are just taking over the market of asymmetrical horror games. You know, other people are trying to do it too, like Dragon Ball. There's going to be one for that and it looks terrible. But this looks like it could be fun. It's three clowns versus seven humans and you can play as either side of this. There's going to be cotton candy ray guns and popcorn bazookas. There's going to be big tops. I don't know if the humans can shoot at the clowns in this game. I don't know if it's that type of game. Uh, or if the humans are just working on surviving, but if they can shoot at the clowns, then it, I hope they keep stuff in there like uh, you have to hit the nose and stuff like that. So that'd be pretty cool. I'm interested to see how that's going to go. There's a lot of that movie that I'm interested to see how they're going to implement in the game. Like that big fucking clown from the end of the film, the acid pies, all of that. There's a lot of questions that we're going to have answered when the dev team is ready to answer it. But if you can't tell, I'm super excited for Killer Clowns in Outer Space, the game. It's gonna be fucking amazing. And we're gonna be playing it and reviewing it on here at some point, probably. That's it for our horror headlines, and now on to our main topic. 1992's Candyman. Candyman. If you say it five times, he pulls up. Candyman, of course, played by Tony Todd, the legendary Tony Todd. Are you okay, Tony? No, because I've been holding on to a joke that every time we mention Candyman, the joke pops back up in my head and I was like, it's it's not a fucking good joke. Stop remembering it. Just say it. Get it out of your I'm, system. I'm going to. <laughs> it's bad. Because when uh, you were saying, yeah, uh, that Tony got to watch uh, Candyman, you're going to be like, well, wait, it's a horror? I think I pulled up the wrong one. Uh, man candy. <laughs> That's a whole joke. <laughs> Alright, well, I'm leaving that in. Candyman, 1992, Bernard Rose. This is one of our favorite films to ever release in the slasher genre, but it's not entirely a slasher, I would say. Would you guys say? I don't think it'd be appropriate to call it something else. Really? I don't think it'd be a hooker. <laughs> I mean, it follows the slasher trope. Yes. But it's, there's more to it. There yeah. is. Yeah. A lot more to it. Uh, when 
when watching this film, the the my first reaction when I first watched it back in the day was that it's uh, it feels like a, a gothic monster movie made in a modern, more modern setting of '90s Chicago. And uh, then I found out later that was the intention. That was the that was the goal was to kind of follow films like Dracula and Frankenstein, these tragic romantic monsters of film, and kind of do a more modern interpretation of that. Uh, but this movie wasn't originally a movie, or at least Candyman wasn't originally a movie. It was a book by Clive Barker. Clive Barker, being a very famous horror author, his books have given us things like Hellraiser and Nightbreed. So when it came time to create a film based off of this book, uh, some changes were made by director Bernard Rose. Uh, they had some discussions about it, and Bernard Rose, he spent some time in the U.S. and got back to Clive Barker with uh, those changes in mind, and there were some pretty pretty big changes to the story. First of all, if you haven't read the original that Candyman is based off of, Candyman's white. It's set in London. You don't have to just say his name five times for him to appear. He kind of just shows up. <laughs> But Bernard Rose spent some time in America and learned of the culture and also of the urban legends, and that's why urban legends is such a big thing in this film. And he kind of mended together two urban legends of Bloody Mary and The Hook into one, and that is Candyman, but also made Candyman a person of color in a town that's heavy on gang violence in the midst of gentrification, Cabrini Green in Chicago. And he was going to tie the story all to that. And, you know, of course, this made people nervous. But I think what he accomplished in doing so was telling a story that had a lot of weight to it and that people of all color can appreciate. And that is Candyman, the film. <laughs> all right. Uh, good, good recording, guys. I'll see you next time. <laughs> so, Justin, run us through the uh, cast and crew here. All right. Directed by Bernard Rose. Writing credits, of course, like you said, Clive Barker and also Bernard Rose for the movie. Virginia Madsen plays Helen Lyle, the main character of the movie. Great performance. And Virginia Madsen was very dedicated to this role as Helen. And it's her favorite role that she's ever done. It's the one that she's most recognized for. She said she gets like stopped all the time after Candyman's like, oh, you're Helen from Candyman. But she was so committed to this role when she wanted to seem entranced by Candyman in this film. Hypnotism. She actually went under hypnotism. And I think it was her idea to do so as well. Actually went under hypnotism and they had a trigger word for her on set so that she would be like actually dazed whenever Tony Todd shows up as Candyman. What's your next person I'm guessing is Tony Todd? Yes, Tony Todd, the Pl Candyman. Playing as the Candyman. And those two together, they actually took dance lessons together to kind of increase their chemistry, romantic chemistry on screen. Xander Berkeley plays Trevor Lyle. Cassie Lemons plays Bernadette Walsh. And she has a gruesome as fuck death. Vanessa Williams plays Anne-Marie McCoy, who also is in the remake. As this, as Anne-Marie McCoy. Yep. You know, I, I said it in the first episode, and I'll say it again. That woman aged like fine wine. She's still very pretty. She's still gorgeous. Absolutely gorgeous. Gorgeous. In fact, I will say in age, she has become more gorgeous. Oh, really, really holding true to the fine wine comment. The wine guy plays Jake. Mariana Elliott plays Clara, and a person I'm surprised to see 
that uh, didn't realize he was in this movie. Ted Raimi plays Billy. Yeah, I have forgotten that Ted Raimi was in this movie too, until we yeah until I was watching it with Tony, and I'm like, holy fuck, it's Ted Raimi! Like, wait a minute, how have I not noticed? Yeah, every time I see this movie, I'm like, oh fuck, it's Ted Raimi! <laughs> there he is. There's the boy. There's my boy. He was just the guy in the uh, in the story Helen was hearing about Candyman. That's who he was. He was kind of like a somebody was telling Helen the story of Candyman, and they were playing it on screen as the person's telling the story about like, oh, this this chick, her parents were gone, and her boyfriend came over, and he was hot, and it's just Ted Raimi there, like, sup. <laughs> dies later after the story. Rhea Pavia plays Monica, the baby that played baby Anthony. Yeah, yeah, that's important. Latesha Martin. Later to be played by Yahya Abdul-Bati. This was produced by Clive Barker, Steve Gollin, Gregory Goodman, Alan Poole, and, oh fuck, Russian. Uh, Swedish. Sigurd Savatsen. And the music, the wonderful music, made by Philip Glass. Who was disappointed in the movie when it came out because he was making this fantastic film score. It was very elegant and refined. And he didn't know because it was going to a Clive Barker novel being made into a film. He wasn't aware that that film would be what he said and thought at the time was a cheap slasher. And he felt gypped. But then his opinion on the film had softened later on in years uh, because he was interviewed way later and he was like, it's become a classic and I'm glad my name is tied to that film. (laughs) And the wonderful cinematography in this movie was made by Anthony B. Richmond. Which is fan-fucking-tastic cinematography. And that special, special shot we get at the opening credits of the Skycam which was relatively new technology at the time, uh, going across Chicago. They did that with a new type of camera, the Skycam, which could film up to 500 meters and still be smooth like butter filming from that distance. And here I was thinking it was a fucking drone. That out of the way, let's get into talking about Candyman. Me and Justin, like we said, we've seen it a few times. Tony, this was your first viewing. Uh, care to give us some good initial thoughts on the film? Oh, maybe. Okay. First of all, have you heard about this movie before? I have many, 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 many times I've heard of the film Candyman. I never saw it and I never really knew anything about it. So if you had told me, hey, let's watch Candyman, I'd just be like, why are we watching a movie about candy? (laughs) (laughs) And I'm not kidding. Yeah. Even, Even when you were showing me the action figure of Tony Todd, good old Candyman. I didn't know what I was looking at. It's like, oh yeah, it's a dude in a coat. <laughs> Where's his fucking candy? <laughs> you, you know, <laughs> unfortunately, that description fits very well. Oh, it's a dude in a coat. Where's the candy? <laughs> in his defense, there's a movie called The Ice Cream Man, and he actually is an ice cream delivery driver. Which that is also a horror slasher. Not quite to the level of Candyman. <laughs> One of Darcy's favorite movies, though. Ice Cream? Yeah. Darcy the Mail Girl from Joe Bob. They did the movie, didn't they? Didn't yeah, they, they covered uh... Ice Cream Man on there before. Yeah. That was Joe Bob's treat to Darcy. And he also fucking cock-teased Halloween 3 when announcing it, making her think he was gonna 
show Halloween 3. I'll wait for that to start back up, whenever that'll be. Yeah. Tony, that's, that's pretty funny, but what was your thoughts actually watching it, and was there disappointment at the lack of candy? I mean, there was candy, but very briefly. Being a fat man, uh, yeah, I'm always disappointed <laughs> when there's no candy. Lots of bees, though. You know, it's, it's the typical experience. Something says candy on the cover, and then you get there, and there's no candy. Just, candy? just a creepy guy with a weapon. Yeah, you know, <laughs> what's with that? That always happens. Every Sunday. <laughs> Son of a bitch. This is getting way too common to be a freak accident. <laughs> I'm starting to think none of these people have candy. <laughs> Going in watching it early on in the film, how were you feeling? As far as watching the film for the first time, you know, I have this really bad habit of head empty, I'm watching a film. So I just watched it for what it was and I didn't have any judgments on it. Yeah. Except for when you piped in or... I'm the perfect moviegoer. I have no complaints until afterwards. Yeah, watch now, think later. That was me watching Nope. I felt like the movie kind of drug out a lot, but the pacing worked in its favor. Because it, it's supposed to be about an urban legend, not about a madman. Yeah. Even though that seemed to be what the plot wanted you to think, is that it was just a madman, not an urban legend. Or a woman going crazy. Justin, do you remember the first time you watched Candyman? Partially. I was a little youngin' and it scared the death out of me. And of course my older brother was like, We're gonna go in the bathroom and say Candyman in the mirror. I definitely heard about the five times in the mirror thing before I watched Candyman, I believe. It was always like either say Candyman in the mirror five times or say Bloody Mary three times. Also First movie, I recognized that there was a black guy as the killer. Yes. I think it was the first time that that was a thing. So, period. historical. Yeah. I mean, as a kid, I didn't understand the story or nothing like that. I was just watching the movie, yada, yada, scary yada. Scary guy with a hook. Scary guy with a hook going to come and get you. Yeah. That's nine-year-old Justin's assessment of the movie. <laughs> I don't remember what age I was exactly, but I think it was in a collection of VHSs that my mom had. And there was this summer, she was living in a new house, and that summer there was just this big-ass drawer full of VHSs. And, and that summer, I sat there, I watched all those VHSs, and I think Candyman 1 and 2 was part of those. So if that's the case, I watched this movie for the first time when I was about... 13. Kind of an age to where you can understand it a lot more. Yeah. All I remember for sure, though, about watching this for the first time, loving it. Absolutely loving it. And because I, I, back then, I was of this mindset of a 90s horror movie. Oh, God. You know, <laughs> I just, I don't, I don't want to have anything to do with that, but I'll watch it because I'm bored. And this is one of the few VHSs I haven't watched yet. And I know a lot of people, I knew a lot of people loved this movie. But I did. I went into it expecting not to, and I kind of, kind of like Tony. I just heard a lot about it at that point, but I never, I didn't know like shit about it, other than say his name five times in the mirror. That's it. I didn't know any of the actors or nothing. And I started watching it, and this movie had a good message. This movie was really deep compared to a lot of films like it, especially of the time when 
movies in general in the 90s was just getting goofier. <laughs> this movie was extremely a respectable film with a respectable story, and the, the music sent me over the fucking moon. Like, I loved this movie, the, the whole package, and it instantly became one of my favorite horror films. And that's my history with Candy Bit. It's a good history. Very good history. And I since learned a then, lot about you. Since then, I've watched it like eight times. I've watched it once since then. Yeah, you did. I watched it about five or six times. Uh, so uh, there's something something about Clive Barker, man. He makes good stories. We got Candyman and Hellraiser, Nightbreed. Like the dude, the dude does good shit. And Tony Todd, you know, has became one of my favorite actors of all time since watching the film too for the first time back then. Very um, well done. He's great in, you know, Night of the Living Dead, the the Tom Savini, Night of the Living Dead. He's just a, a fantastic fucking actor. He he was in uh, The Final Destination. Yep, he was the coroner. Yeah. And just a just a great guy in general from what I understand about him. In season one, you really you really could tell we had a love for Tony Todd on the show. Me and Justin. Yeah, please, uh we're still waiting on that interview, Tony Todd. Please, please be on our show, Tony Todd. We love you. Okay, so get into this proper. We start out with that amazing fucking shot, and this is the time to talk about cinematography. That aerial view, sky cam shot going over Chicago, and it, that gets mirrored in the in the legacy sequel. Beautiful, beautiful fucking shot. Where that was from the ground, from the air looking down, and then Nia DaCosta's from the ground looking up into the skyline and seeing the tops of the buildings. Fantastic cinematography in these fucking films. Tony, I, I just remember Tony still needs to see the, the Legacy sequel, too. Sorry. You'll love it. Yeah, if, if you like Candyman, you'll, you'll like Candyman. <laughs> Imagine. Yeah. Imagine a world. Cinematography throughout this film is fucking fantastic. The, 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 the camera is set up to where every set location in this movie looks like a work of art and it really from from like the the high class fucking apartments that helen lives in to the gang controlled streets of cabrini green and the abandoned buildings and warehouses it all looks like art how did you guys feel about the shots and the cinematography in this movie top notch i liked them a lot especially when uh helen crawls through that wall and there's that mural ah yeah yeah she, oh yeah where she comes through and, that is yeah. great set design uh, actually, a bit of trivia for that set design. Uh, that that room in particular was set up to look. The intent was for it to look like a place of worship to Candyman, like a Gothic church that's run down, of course, but a, but a Gothic church nonetheless set to worship Candyman by those who believe. I mean, he did talk about his congregation. Yes, the, the, we never saw. Well, the congregation. What he means by that is the superstitious people of Cabrini Green. Who believe in the legend of Candyman. Right, but we never saw anyone in the church. Well, yeah, I, I, I think the point is that his congregation is widespread and throughout. It's just whoever believes in him. Are you telling me, are you telling me you can worship anywhere? It doesn't have to be in a church. <laughs> well, if we're going that route, yes. That's, that's why I paused. <laughs> Uh, depending on the religion, Tony, for your actual answer, depending on the religion. A church is just a building. You can go and worship anywhere. Depending on the religion, Justin. Oh, no, I'm talking about Christianity. Yeah, specifically Christianity, not Catholicism. But, you know, there's many 
religions out there where you do actually need to go to the place of worship, I'm sure. But not in the church Candyman. It's whoever believes. Just like Santa Claus, you just gotta believe. And you might get something. You right. won't like it with Candyman. But right. You, right. Might, you might get a present. You might get a hook in your stomach. You might get a face full of bees. Bees. <laughs> Speaking of which, I got trivia on that. He, the, Tony Todd, the main actor in that scene, was really having bees in his mouth, and he got stung yep. quite a bit of times. Talk about a guy who is committed to his role. Well, yeah, uh, Tony Todd, he actually made a special deal. He gets, a, I think it was a grand or 1200 per sting if he does this. On top of what he's already getting paid, per sting, he got like 1000 to $1,200 per sting. Pretty reasonable price to ask for having a mouthful of bees. <laughs> and Steve-O does it for free. But the stings that he had to endure weren't as bad as they normally would be. These bees were specifically bred for this film. And they were specifically bred because the bees had to be no more than 12 hours old so that they would look like adults because that's how quickly bees form. They were like honeybees, weren't they? Yeah, they were honeybees. They were specifically bred, like, on day of shooting. So they would be no more than 12 hours old. They had to be around that 12 hour mark so that they look like adults, but their stingers weren't fully formed yet. So where they won't be able to do as much damage as they would as full-fledged adults. And also they were calmed down with smoke and whatnot as well. And they actually had a spe special vacuum for the bees to collect, to recollect the bees once the scene was done. It was a special vacuum that doesn't harm the bees. So they just are uh, <laughs> sucking bees out of Tony Todd's mouth and off his chest. <laughs> so no bees were harmed in the making of this film? Oh, you know, that's a lot of bees <clears throat> to take account for. I wouldn't be surprised if a few bees might have probably got hurt on set. I mean, if you got bees all over the place, it's kind of hard to not step on one or something. But for the most part, I mean, maybe they did have a perfect record and absolutely no bees got harmed, but I'm just saying, kind of hard to know that for sure. True. Yeah. But yeah, the bees the bees are very interesting in this film, and there's a lot of subtlety around the bees too, a lot of the bee themes. Like when Helen is talking to Jake, and this kind of goes into good cinematography again, when Helen's talking to the, to the kid, Jake, about Candyman, and this is right before he takes her to that public restroom. Yes. And they're sitting there. The light is shining from behind them into the into Helen's right, and it's shining through a gate, like a like a, a metal gate you, you usually see in in cities and stuff like that, with the hexagon pattern in it, and the shadows of that hexagon gate is is uh, on Helen's face as she's talking, giving the appearance of a beehive, and that's to signify the future of Helen's fate, which I thought was pretty cool. Literal foreshadowing. Yeah, actual foreshadowing. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of just a smart movie like that, and that's why I love it. It's real clever. Yeah. So what, what, did, what did you guys think about Virginia Madsen's performance as Helen? Grade A performance. Any lady that is willing to get hypnotized for the role, damn. Now, Justin, you have a history on the show. Is there anything in particular you'd like to comment on Virginia Madison's performance in this movie? You know, the thing you like to bring up during Cat Macabre. Oh, yeah, she got naked in the movie. <laughs> it was something Briefly, in the tub. No, there's like three scenes where you see her breasts. Really? Yeah. She was in the tub. She was... Uh, when she was covered in the dog's blood and went to the cops. 
uh, yeah. the police headquarters, uh, yeah. and they had to undress her. You see her boobs there. There was another scene too, wasn't there, Tony? I believe, but I don't recall. Yeah, I'm pretty sure there's another scene where you when see she her was in the well. tub. Yeah, that's uh, in the tub at the police station, and somewhere else. I feel there was one more. But yes, she played really well in her role. Yes, I mean the interactions between her and Tony Todd, fantastic. character, fantastic. Those dance lessons paid off. <laughs> yeah, because they, they had great on-screen chemistry. How'd you feel, Tony, about her performance? Well, <laughs> uh -oh. that was stark contrast to uh, Justin's opinion on her hypnotism thing uh i did not like that <laughs> you didn't like her hypnotism her being hypnotized no oh. i didn't i thought it really sold it what about it did you not like just the whole idea of her being drawn in and hypnotized by the candy man or was it too cliche i feel like it's too cliche and i feel like the exact way that she acted out being dazed how everyone tends to act dazed and confused. I think constantly wandering eyes, like wriggling. No, I, I didn't get that from it because uh, it was specifically her eyes. Also, I like just to note off topic, my search bar on here is a different picture every day and today it's a bee. Hey, it's a sign. Yeah. <laughs> You're gonna get stung by a bee. You're gonna get stung by a bee. You're gonna get stung by a bee. Future editing Brandon here. Just a couple days after this recording, I did get stung by a bee. Well, technically a wasp. So, thanks, Justin. Literal for shadowing. For shadowing. But yeah, go back to what I was saying. I didn't get that from her performance. Is specifically the eyes that sold it for me because she doesn't have just like the wandering eyes. She has legit a thousand yard stare in those eyes. She is looking through everything when she's in these scenes. And I remember, I didn't know about the hypnotism when I first watched this movie, but I remember there being something so unique about Helen's stare whenever Candyman was around and not knowing what that was. I, I was like, that's an, a fucking amazing performance. And then I found out later, oh, she was undergoing actual hypnotism <laughs> in order to do that, so. I applaud the fuck out of it. Was that the only thing you didn't like about her character, or, or was there more things besides the hypnotism? Uh, literally just the dazed and confused uh, thing that I see too often in early 90s movies. That's the only part I didn't like. What other early 90s movies, Tony? Haha! <laughs> I, don't, I don't remember that in any early 90s movies. I've seen that in so many other movies. Maybe or Dazed shows. and Confused. The, the movie Dazed and Confused. I don't know what's going on. I'm Dazed and Confused. So besides the uh, Dazed and Confused part, you liked her character? Yeah. Her character was great. Her character was great. But I guess we can have this, this uh, short little discussion. Would you guys say that Helen plays into the white savior trope? White savior trope being somebody, a white person, going into a place where they're not from and it's not their culture and all that. Good example, Tom Cruise in The Last Samurai. <laughs> and just being like, oh, these people have all these problems and stuff, and I can fix it because I'm white. And then they do that, and that's what the movie's about. Would y'all say that uh, Helen is an example of that? I would say her intentions were trying to do that, but I don't think it was just necessarily because she was white. 
Right, but would you say that she's a white savior character? Yes. Tony? No, I wouldn't say that. Unless you're talking about the fact that she is played into naivety, that she could just explain the whole thing of Candyman away. If that's what we're painting as being the white savior, then sure, but no. Here, here's I don't my think th- that's what it is. I, I ultimately agree with you that she's not a white savior character. But I think there are some points where it's like, mm, a lot of Helen's character is she's a student working on a thesis, and it's all about urban legends, urban myth, and modern day mythology. And she's doing that. She goes to Cabrini Green to study up on Candyman. And a lot of it is her being not only fish out of water, but thinking that through her limited white experience, she can just go wherever she wants and do as she pleases. And that gets her in a lot of trouble. And this movie ultimately is about a white woman going into the into an area she shouldn't and getting into a lot of trouble that ends with her dying. I think that is the biggest reason she's not a white savior character. She's, she ultimately pays the price for her naivety. There are moments in the movie, especially when she's talking to her friend who is a person of color, Bernadette, telling her stuff about being in the area, messing with, with gang members and stuff like that. They think they're cops. Don't worry, Bernadette. I don't recall that. Yeah, when when they went to that place with all the gang members there, they were trying to go into that building where the, uh, the Candyman sighting was where that woman got murdered and that's where anthony's mom lives that that apartment complex they were going in there and the gang members were all in the building walking into this building helen was kind of like telling bernadette let's just keep our distance you follow my lead these guys just don't pay them any mind and then they start getting talked to by these gang members and they start going upstairs and while they're going upstairs while they're in the stairwell bernadette looks really worried and helen's like don't worry they think we're cops they're not going to mess with us it just seems a bit weird to me well i think also about her character halfway through the movie it's not mostly about trying to save the day it's mostly trying to clear her own name because everybody thinks she's fucking insane right because crazy white lady went to cabrini green messing with a whole bunch of shit that she should kidnap her and a kidnapper. Maybe murder. Dog murder. Probably. Definitely. Husband doesn't even believe her. Moves on with another dude. I mean, another dude. <laughs> <laughs> another if only. <laughs> if only. <laughs> that would have made an even more interesting twist. Like, hey, Steve. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> the whole time she's thinking this girl that, that she had uh, uh, suspicions about in his class... It was really that Steve. whole time, it wasn't her. It was one of the male students. <laughs> it was the quarterback. Yeah. Even the husband doesn't believe her, and he ends up being with another woman while well, she's in the hospital for a long period of time. I'm pretty sure out. the implications of that was he was cheating on her before. Yeah, yeah. more likely. Like when she tried to make that phone call. Yeah, and he wasn't there at 3 a.m. Yeah. He wasn't at home. And she asked him later, where were you? He was in somebody's home at 3 a.m. He was he was in the dorm at 3 a.m. is where he was at. <laughs> in a specific dorm. Yes. Me and Tony were on the same mind here. Not really a white savior trope. Uh, it kind of plays into her naivety, this film does. Let's hear the case that she is. But what, what makes you feel like she is a white savior character? Well, like you were saying before, a white lady going into an area that she's not supposed to. I wouldn't say not supposed to, but has no business being in uh, sticking her nose in, in the business of the black community and 
not knowing when to stop, just keep on probing and probing and probing, getting more and more in there. Yeah. But that's about where it's it's at. But like I said, other half of the movie, it's not really much about her trying to to do what's right. It's her trying to clear her own fucking name because everybody thinks she's insane. She thinks she knows better than, than the people she's dealing with. I'm realizing how hard people think about films like that nowadays. Race is a part of the story. That was the story that Bernard Rose wanted to tell, and Clive Barker thought it was a good idea. And I think it's better for it. And this movie has been heralded for it as well, especially in the black community and and uh, people of color, horror fans. Tony Todd's performance is Candyman. Go around the room, let's get a feel for how everybody got a feel for the legend himself. I liked his character a lot. He had a really good backstory. It's a sad story. Uh, yeah, it's a tragedy really tragic story and like I said just the way every scene he ends it just it's he's very commanding like he eats the scene is yes what, is what they call that yes he chews up the scene and it's very powerful yes they couldn't have chosen a better actor to play this role yeah I think you picked very good words uh, describers for this sad and powerful commanding yeah that's I, the that's that's the vibes I get yes tragic character very romantic characters is something I would throw in there as well. Yes. It's, uh... And also dealing with a white woman. Yes. There's an interracial thing going on there, and that's in, very much cemented in the backstory as well. That's how why he died, was messing with an interracial relationship. Ignorance killed him, basically. And not his ignorance, the ignorance of others killed him. Oh, yeah. Because he was, like, originally born in, like, what, the slave days? Like in the- No, his father was born in the slave days. His father, well, not born, his father lived in the slave days. His father, he was the son of a slave. Like in the 1700s or something yeah. like that. But he lived a pretty good life, all things considered, back in back in the 1800s. Was very well educated. He he wasn't poor. His family was pretty well-to-do. He came in a place of, of uh, what people back then would consider privilege uh, for a person of color at the time. And... Having your own place. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, that's limited privilege, of course. I know. Yeah. I, I know what you're saying, yeah. A limited privilege, but privilege in comparison to others um, of his race, yeah. nonetheless. For a black man in the 1800s, he did live a good life. He fell in love with the daughter of somebody who hired him to paint a, a portrait of his, of his daughter. He fell in love with the subject. She became his muse, and they fell in love and then he was killed for it by an angry mob hired by the father in a horrific way lynching pretty much yeah they drug him out into the sun chopped his they burnt arm off burn him chopped his arm off and, and then covered him in bees covered him in bees fucking terrible bernard rose i, I believe it was who who put it perfectly the the romance of this character it's the it's the edgar allan poe vibe of romance right it's the romance of death the the the, the love of of death and that that dance that we do with death and romanticizing that and he is that romantic death he's personified to helen he's irresistible he's uh infatuating he's all of that and though she's scared of him she's also at the same time very hypnotized by him and, and I believe attracted to him in a way yes yes uh, that kind of we we kind of don't see that until they're 
climactic scene right before the fire, but there is like this allure of him that she feels to him, and he. And she is very much drawn to him, and it, it grows stronger the more he fucks up her life. <laughs> how, how do you feel about Tony Todd's performance as Candyman, Tony? It was great. I mean, I just I didn't think too hard about it because I didn't really understand the majority of the story because it was my first time watching. And this is a movie that does lend to more views viewings. Agreed. Yeah. Uh, it, it doesn't feel like I got a whole lot of the story other than what was presented to me in the film. Yeah. And in plain English. <laughs> <laughs> well, they did talk about the backstory. I think that was the dinner scene Helen was having. Yes. Yeah. Uh, the, the professor that she was talking to, that she told him, we're going to actually, we're going to bury you. That guy told them the backstory of the actual like Candyman when he was alive. I don't remember this scene. <laughs> yeah, the very pompous guy. I even like did a little voice when he came on screen. Nope, no recollection. Okay, so uh, her, her husband, and Bernadette are having dinner with this guy. He's a professor as well, and he's like, "Oh, I hear you're doing my favorite subject, urban legends, and you're in Cabrini Green. That's Candyman country." He's like, are you hoping to, like, get on my level, basically, is what he said, but in a very pompous, snooty way. And uh, She was like, actually, we're going to bury you. And he laughed. He's like, well, I'm guessing that you heard my my thesis on the Candyman, and all, or you've read my, my uh, stuff about Candyman, right? And she goes, not entirely. And he's like, my dear, if you plan on burying me, you should at least read what I've written. <laughs> And he tells the whole backstory Candyman was Daniel Robitaille, who was the son of a slave, and basically everything that I just said. I remember that now. <laughs> and in the newer one, they talk about that also. Yeah. Again. One thing that struck me a little bit is when Candyman was making his kills, the grunting he would do was yeah. uh, a bit sexual. Well, yeah, that, and it wasn't exclusive towards the females that he killed. <laughs> he was very inclusive. Yeah, I don't know if that was intentional or not, actually, if it was supposed to sound sexual. I don't think so, it's but it's unfortunate that that's how it comes across. Yeah, <laughs> but that could be we're just perverts. Yeah, probably. <laughs> it's just the nice Tony Todd grunt. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's hard to think of Tony Todd in any other way than sexual. It's not, <laughs> my, fault every, it's not my fault every sound he makes is sensual. Yeah. Oh, no, it's Candyman. Tony Todd's great. Candyman is a great role for him. Uh, it's also Tony Todd's favorite role he's ever done, is Candyman. I can say why. It's, it yeah. seems like it would be a fun role to play. Yes. And he has more hokey fun with it in the sequels that are very much bad movies, except for the newest one that came out. <laughs> Farewell to Flesh, I think, is the best of all the sequels, and that's still just not saying much. And that's just, and that's when Candyman just turns to just a traditional slasher. Yeah, he's just a straight up Jason Voorhees at that point. Yep. Yeah. But uh, we love the first Candyman for how well thought out, clever, and deep the story is. Yeah. And the remake, they ignore all the sequels. It's just yeah, legacy sequel. Yes. Or as Scream Five likes to say, requel. So we talked about Tony Todd. We talked about Virginia Madsen. Talk about baby Anthony. Uh, he's a baby. <laughs> baby Anthony is the main character in the legacy sequel. You know that as soon as you hear that his name is Anthony. <laughs> so, <gasps> it's 
Anthony. There's not much to say on that part, but I guess his mom? I don't know. I liked how you put it. He's a baby. He's a baby. <laughs> well he's put. Doing baby I mean, he's things. part of the story. I mean, he's he's the reason why Helen goes into the fire pit. Yeah, but as far as his performance, he's a baby. <laughs> he cried. He, he cried. Acts, he acted he like a baby cry. really well. He did some laughing. He did some spit up. He threw up he, on his mom. Probably pooped in his shit in his diaper. Shit his diapers. Pooped in his shit. Pooped in his shit. <laughs> Pooped in the shit. What did you think of the scene where Helen gets jumped by a group of gang members? Uh, I mean, it's a pretty good uh, deflection, or what would you call it? Play on your expectations. She's going through this. The bathroom scene was really well crafted. You keep seeing that quote, sweets to the sweet, and uh, that's uh, Shakespeare, I believe. The bees in the toilet. Yeah, it's from Hamlet. There's the bees in the toilet, and then you're expecting Candyman to show up, and this guy calling himself Candyman does. Beats her up, or hits her, knocks her out, and then they leave, uh, which was a bit unrealistic to me, because, I mean, you're going, these gang members show up, and you're they hear you're asking too many questions around in the area. Typical gang activity would probably see you dead. Yeah. Especially if you had seen their faces. Yeah, I think it's a bit unrealistic that she would have just been knocked out at that point. But we still have a movie to do. <laughs> so she positively identifies him and he goes to jail and she's thanked for her help with it and all that. But the, the, the tension building is mostly what I like about that scene. I think story-wise that's probably my least favorite part of the movie. I thought it was nice and foreboding. Other than that, I didn't feel like it lent a whole lot other than a uh, red herring to the overarching story. That's a good word I was looking for. Um, well, I think You're it welcome. does It does serve well in, in, in showing just how out of her element she is, too. That's the point I was Put anyone there and it would, it would articulate the same thought. Yeah. The problem isn't so much that it's her. The problem is that anyone would be in the same type of situation. Being put out of their element, but she's getting slapped in the face with the whole out of out of her element thing the whole time she's there anyway. So, just at that point, that was literally being yeah. slapped. Yeah, this all builds up to this climax after Helen has gone through hell that she has brought on upon herself. Really, um, literally, when she said Candyman five times in the mirror, she is suspected of murder child abduction, aggravated assault with the intent to kill in somebody's house. And this is all after, you know, her run-ins with Candyman and it's making it seem like it's like it's her doing all of it. And, you know, her first run-in with Candyman, the, the iconic, oh god, we did talk about this, the iconic scene where she first sees Candyman in the carport area. Helen. Helen. And that's when Candyman lets us know, like, what he's all about and he he's he lives through his legend the whispers on the lips of the people in cabrini green is what keeps him alive and how good it is to to just live as a legend and in no other form and the people's belief and the fact that people keep talking about him is what keeps him going his congregation his congregation um and that that first initial scene in the in the garage area. What do you call those? Parking decks. Parking decks. Thank you. And the parking decks is uh, is I, one of the greatest scenes in the film. And then the other scenes where she runs into him, like uh, when he busts through her mirror, 
or from behind her mirror uh, and Virginia Madsen uh, was not let in on the fact that that was about to happen and so when you see her terrified in that scene and running away she was actually scared and running off set <laughs> it's kind of fucked up and Tony Todd felt terrible for it too. Virginia Madison said that he would not stop apologizing afterwards. He felt so fucking bad. But he was told to do it, so he did it. Tony Todd's a sweetheart. Yes. Candyman is making her feel like she's going crazy, and but more so making everyone else feel like she's going crazy. Especially with the death of her friend Bernadette. That was the last straw. She gets sent to the mental institute. She stays there for how long was it? months she was there for like three four months and she thought it was just for a few days i thought it was a month a month no, no. Okay. i believe it might have been like a month or like two months or something like but she was there for like a whole month or two months and she thought she was in there for like a day she's she was so out of it because probably because of the drugs and all that and then when candy man kills the guy the doctor in charge of her at the i love that kill where he just freaking he just shows up from behind the dude he's just like <laughs> and then he the batmans his way out of the window with uh, with a not so obvious string behind him oh yeah <laughs> just goes flying backwards i liked the uh cinematography between uh her waking up and ending up in uh the doctor's office because they actually use different types of cuts to make it look like not a whole lot of time has passed yeah. to sell to you that she hasn't been in there as long as she yes was. i think that's very good too because we yeah we were on the same page as her not knowing that we were both reading the wrong fucking page <laughs> But in reality, it's been a, a bunch of chapters ahead. Yeah. Yeah, and then the uh, the twist of her saying Candyman in the mirror, and then the excessively long pause. Like nothing's gonna happen. <laughs> Which is fun, because we just got duped with the whole how long has she been in the asylum. Yeah, now so it puts the audience... In, yeah, it puts the audience in a position of like, I don't know what is happening right now. Like, I don't know... If this bitch is just crazy. <laughs> Suspension of disbelief is, uh, it's here. So we're, we're like, are we on reality or are we on Candyman right yeah. now? That's happening. Yeah. I think it was the movie was, it was the point of that was to make you feel like you, you were her, where you're not knowing what the fuck's going on and whether what to believe or what to not to believe anymore. Yeah. Well, I think what Tony's saying is it, uh, were we about to get we we were unsure whether or not we're about to get hit with the reality of she's insane we're watching a different type of movie than we were let on and this is all in her head yeah Ooh, those movies yeah but then no candy man shows up it's like bitch you're watching the right movie i'm here <laughs> don't adjust your television set <laughs> no please don't you'll see the string uh, but <laughs> nice quip. It it all it all leads to the climax. Helen accepting Candyman's offer, which Candyman is all about consent. And <laughs> yeah. Oh uh, well, with, with Helen, I love this with Helen specifically. No, I love the scene where he's carrying her. Yeah, and she's like, "Is it going to hurt?" And he's like, "Oh, the pain. I can promise you." spectacular I think exquisite. Exquisite. exquisite it will be exquisite 
Uh, thanks. I was worried, but now, you know, it's fine. <laughs> Which begs the question, uh, Mr. Mr. Man of Candy, sir, uh, exquisite for you or me? Yes. <laughs> Absolutely. Yes. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, so, it, yeah, the, we got, we're here to the scene where she's accepting Candyman's offer, and he's being very polite about it with Helen. If you're going to kill someone... Make sure you get a yes. <laughs> I mean, to be fair, in a certain way of thinking, he always gets a yes. Except for the doctor. He yeah, had because no idea. It, if you say Candyman five times, you're signing up for this. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. You're basically saying Candyman kill me. Yeah. Candyman kill me. So you, you know, in that in that scene, it's almost like she's already uh like resigned to the idea that she and uh, Candyman are a thing, right? So she calls her boyfriend <laughs> to beat up the doctor. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. <laughs> well, uh, as her life worsens, she's fallen in love with the idea of death, right? And Candyman is that. The idea of death. And um, so she accepts what Candyman is offering. To not only just die, but to live on as a legend and as a myth. And he brings her to his his church, his special room. That's where she finds out the, the, the secret that she's the reincarnation. Or just really fucking looks like the woman who he fell in love with and got him in that whole business got him killed. Didn't and, and that's what she find it before he brought her there? No, she found film. No, she found that after he brought her there, on uh, the last, the final time she's there, because it's written on the wall with "It was always you, Helen." She's looking at that wall with that writing on, and like in between the letters, she sees the painting of the woman that looks a lot like herself. She went directly to her husband's place and her place, and found him with the student. She was like, "Go ahead, make the call," and handing the phone, and the girls just crying, and then she leaves and goes there. And then after stopping on the bridge. And getting, like, telepathy at, and she has nothing else other than Candyman. Yeah. Yep. He ends up carrying her to like the altar area or something to. Well, that's the bees, right? Yeah, the bees. And, and then, then she, she wakes up. She wakes, she wakes up, up and sees. Uh, it was always you, Helen. And then ends up going to the bonfire because that's where the baby is. And oh, Jacob, Jake, he sees her going in the bonfire and he's thinking, oh, she's gonna do something. No. Jake, she's climbing with the hook. She was. She had the hook in her hand. Yes. She goes behind some garbage in the bonfire, and like the hook is like hooked on something. She's like pulling it through. Jake looks and only sees the hook moving in the bonfire pit, and thinks Candyman is in in the pile of, of garbage and stuff. Which technically he was. Yeah, and he's like, Candyman's here, and he gets everybody. Hey, Candyman's in in the in the stuff. Let's go burn him. Burn him. Everybody, burn him. And so the community comes together to try to get rid of Candyman. And they wind up burning Helen instead. And she's in there struggling with Candyman, trying to save Anthony. And she escapes. And, and he's in pain and she and crawls he's, he out. Crawl, he cries in pain. She crawls out. She's on fire. She's He's cr- crying out to Helen. And she hands the baby to his mother and dies while they try to put her put her out with blankets and stuff very well done makeup wise on her burning like all of her hair is gone and yeah and then later we see her widower 
husband crying her name into the mirror, not intentionally doing it, but he says Helen three times. For her, it was three. Right? Or was it four? I remember it wasn't five. It was either three or four times she, he says Helen. And then she shows up in the mirror, all burnt with a hook. What, what was that fucking line she gave? I think it was a requote from something said earlier. She says, what's the matter, Trevor? He's scared of something. Yeah, she said that earlier when she was in the house. She's requoting that. And yeah, that's the movie. She kills the shit out of her husband. And now she's supposedly the new Candyman. Yeah, until she's not in the very next movie. Yes. <laughs> and then in the requel, there's no supernatural Helen at all. We just have Virginia Madsen doing voice lines that uh, Anthony's listening to. Yep. Yeah. Uh, but overall... Great fucking film, great legacy. What are you guys' final thoughts on Candyman? Still want my candy. <laughs> Historical movie, great freaking movie. A lot of stuff done, never done before. I believe Break, that Skycam shot at the beginning was the first of its kind. Yeah. On a lot of things. It's a classic. A great film for our anniversary. Yes. Oh, yes. And very worthy of such. One of my favorite films of all time. Tony, final thoughts? Great watch. Had virtually no complaints about any of it. It was a little bit confusing. <laughs> Hypno Helen. <laughs> Except for Hypno Helen. She eats dreams and gets sick on nightmares. Uh, That's pretty fucking metal. <laughs> Pokemon. <laughs> that film all by itself in a vacuum is a little bit confusing. Having no context aside from what it gives you in the movie. I also lend that to uh, laps of paying attention during the film. <laughs> Had to have been. Because I did not remember the dinner scene at all. <laughs> until you mentioned it. And then I remembered... That is something I witnessed. I'm glad you got to watch it. I'm glad I got to share one of my favorite horror films ever with you, Tony. And of course, Tony's recognize Tony's, right? Always. <laughs> I see you, Tony Top. So in closing, man, it's been one whole year. One year of radio fear. Why am I just coming up with this at the ending? <laughs> uh, the best gold nuggets to fall out of our faces are usually made on the spot. Yeah. Oh. Like, uh, oh shit, I think I watched the wrong movie, Man Candy. That's what we're watching, right? <laughs> In closing, uh, for my opinion, uh, I've, I've preached the gospel of Candyman several times on this show. More so in season one than season two. We're trying to focus on a whole bunch of different things. And there's only so many we love you Tony Todd's we can say in each episode but I think that consisted of our first like six episodes. <laughs> um... Wait, Brandon. Yes. Was the congregation inside you all along? I am the congregation, motherfucker. It's me, bitch. All hell candy man. <laughs> you been looking for candy man? Found him, bitch. You found him, bitch? It's me. I love candy man. I love candy. Man. I want candy. Thank you. Thank you. I'll be here all week. <laughs> This, this is one of my favorite films ever. Instantly loved it as a kid. Still love it today. I will watch it a million more fucking times before I die. If I have the time. Alright, that's going to be it from us at Radio Fear. Thank you for celebrating one whole year of fear with us. We appreciate y'all for listening in for this whole year. And for y'all new listeners. We, we fucking just, love you. We fucking love you. <laughs> you know what would make us really love you a lot more, though? Check out our Patreon. Are you going to be our... What, hype what, man! Our, not the hype man. What's it? The shill man. Are you going to be our shill man for the episodes? 
just be the show. Shill it out right now. We're at the end of the episode. Patreon. Please, uh, if you really do enjoy our podcast, please uh, visit our page and Patreon. We'd really like your money. God. <laughs> we like your fucking money. Give it to us. Uh, but seriously, if, if you if you do like our content and you want to support the show, go pledge to us on Patreon. Uh, we have several different tiers ranging from three to fifteen dollars. We don't we try to make it not too expensive for you. So if you want to uh, support us, Tony, what do we have on Patreon? We have lost tape episodes, and we're uh, covering lost pages. Lost pages. We have lost pages. <laughs> How am I supposed to know? They're lost. Yeah. <laughs> we haven't found them yet. We're still uh, fucking looking. <laughs> on Patreon, we have our discussion of Mad God. Lost pages. It's up there. We found it. <laughs> we found that the fucking page, page. The page is here. It's we there. found it. Conveniently, you don't have to read it. We read it for you. <laughs> it's in audio format. If you go over and donate... On Patreon.com, have your name written down in our Patreonicon. Please follow us on Twitter. Please rate us on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Actually, yes, thank you for bringing that up. It is really important to us that we get some ratings on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you do rate podcasts at. Uh, that helps our name get out there. That helps other people find us that may not be listening to us already. And who knows? We could be someone's new favorite podcast that isn't you listening to this right now hmm. <laughs> so if you want to help us spread the name spread the word spread the gospel spread the gospel our congregation if you will I'm dead be our patron yes <laughs> over at patreon.com slash radio fear no underscores or nothing just radio fear and uh join the deadhead army Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, Slasher, TikTok. We have a TikTok now. <laughs> With it being our one-year anniversary, I also want to give a special shout-out to Corey Rory for supplying us his music for this whole year. For a fucking year. That man has put in some fucking work for our show. Over He's a wonderful man. Us. Absolute king. Got us our themes for season one and season two, Radio Fear, Junkyard, Jamboree. All of our music that we use that we don't credit to anyone else has been from Gory Rory. So, Gory Rory, hey, I appreciate you, man. We all do. We do. And if you've ever want to listen to him, it's uh, on his YouTube channel. It's just Gory Rory. G-O-R-Y space R-O-R-Y. Thank you very much, Gory. Thank you to all of you who have been listening to us for a year and we're gonna close up here happy birthday guys happy birthday Ooh, brandon one. happy birthday justin happy birthday and a trip around the sun what would let's let's get a really good one this time all three of us at the same time you know the words clat two tony doesn't all right clat two what clat two verata nikto
Taco Bell. Nom 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 nom. <laughs> <laughs> I put that at the very end.